Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. We are live from New York City. After experiencing an incredible run-up in prices over the last five years, the New York City luxury rental market may be finally hitting a ceiling. All told, an estimated 8,000 rental units are entering the New York City market this year. They include the Durst Organization's 750-unit project Via 57 West at 625 West 57th Street and related companies' 84-unit complex 456 Washington Street. The Moynian Group's Sky Building at 605 West 42nd Street, which will boast... 1,175 apartments and 70,000 square feet of amenity space. Meanwhile, investors who bought condos at projects like 157 are adding to the luxury side of the rental market. Phil, quick question to you before I go on. I mean, you know, all I keep reading is that rental prices are down, rental market is kind of slow. What is with all this new inventory and how we're going to handle that? I don't know. I'll say that it's definitely true. I mean, all my all my rentals are sitting a little longer than they should. They're getting prices that are the same or maybe a little less, maybe a little more than last year. And as long as it's priced well, they usually, they usually go. But you can't put it 5%, 10% above last year's price anymore. It won't work. Got it. Princess mm-hmm. of Pop. Taylor Swift is moving forward with a renovation at her Tribeca penthouse that the New York Post says will set the megastar back $535,000 of renovation costing $535,000. Department of Buildings filings for the renovation from earlier this year don't go into detail about Swift's planned renovation, but state that the work being done on her apartment is structural and will include partial interior demolition. Presumably, uh, Swift is finally combining the sixth and penthouse floor she purchased from Lord of the Rings director Peter Jackson into a Tribeca mega mansion in the sky. Meanwhile, while work is ongoing on the Franklin Street penthouse, Swift will take up residency in a swanky Cornelia Street carriage house, according to TMZ. The fully furnished carriage house was first listed in February for $49,000 per month, but sources tell us she is paying 40000 per month. She got a little bit of a bargain. Isn't that something? Okay. Affordable apartments certainly aren't easy to come by in New York City, but there is at least one source for those looking for less expensive housing, New York City Housing Connect, the city's one-stop shop for all of the different affordable units, some in all affordable uh, unit buildings, others in luxury buildings uh, where rentals are. The site is updated regularly with new listings, and there are several lotteries that are currently open to New Yorkers, so check out that site. The red-haired beacon of the 1980s adolescence Molly Ringwald is all grown up and looking to sell her Greenwich Village Pied-a-Terre, a listing in um, four, Greenwich, uh, four Ringwald's East 10th Street apartment, hit the market last week, boasting its celebrity owner and careful uh, renovation. Ringwalls owned the apartment since at least 2004, the observer says, and these days uses it more for an occasional visit from Santa Monica, where she lives with her family. The apartment is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath duplex with two wood-burning fireplaces and views. The townhouse that the duplex co-op sits on top of was built in 1861 and reflects its age through a few historic details like the apartment's decorative marble mantles and 10-inch wood beam ceilings. I know that apartment in that building is beautiful. The duplex is asking $1.79 million. Uh, a few months ago, we reported that Sex and the City actress Sarah Jessica Parker and her husband Matthew Broderick were the likely buyers of some West Village real estate, and 
that the couple had inked a deal for two adjacent townhouses at 273 and 275 West 11th Street. According to The Real Deal, the Hollywood couple has reportedly closed the deal on two homes. They even managed to get a bargain on the property, paying only only $34.5 million for the two townhouses, which is a $9.5 million uh, less than the original reported price or listing price of $44 million. Isn't that something? If the two properties are combined, and there's a strong chance that they will be, the home would become another West Village mega mansion that will span 50 feet across and encompass a total of 13,900 square feet inside and 2,100 square feet of garden outside. Not long before Montauk became a hotspot for summer party seekers, the hamlet on the easternmost tip of Long Island was defined by its laid-back motels, family-run restaurants, wide, empty beaches, and shabby charm. That was anything but chic. But over the last decade, investors have come to see scruffy Montauk in a different light as a place that cleans up pretty good. And uh, as residents cash out and new money flows in, the last underdeveloped portion of the East End is becoming more like, well, it's fancy East End neighborhood. Montauk was once considered a cheaper alternative to the Hamptons, of which it is technically a part of, being within the town of East Hampton. But because it was so rough around the edges, it seems in a different league. I used to call it honky-tonk. It's now anything but. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was I not like I still call the, it that. I still, well, you know, it's kind of getting find there. your pockets. Anyway, I'm sitting here with uh, Peru Brombat from Compass, uh, Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Matthew Cohen, Core Real Estate, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and now Lundgren from Compass. Wow, that's a mouthful this morning. I haven't seen six faces in a long time. Good morning to everybody. Good Good morning. morning. Happy summer. Happy summer. Good one. It's a beautiful summer so far, I think. So pretty, the strawberry moon yesterday. The strawberry moon? Yes. It was yes. so cool. I didn't say that. Yeah. Once every 70 years, yeah. they said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is a strawberry moon? Well, I guess I'm going to met- not see that ever again because 70 years from now, I won't be here. Yeah, me neither. Mm. <laughs> you never know. Medical uh, <laughs> yeah. has come a long way. <laughs> but we may not be aware. <laughs> Yeah, never know. I don't know if you'll be doing real estate in 70 years. I don't want to be doing real estate in 70 years, that's for sure. My God. What a thought that is. So tell me about this moon. I've never seen it, never heard of it. What's a strawberry moon? I read about it it last night. I can't really convey it the way that I read it on Google. So, strawberry in color? uh, Is it a red moon? It was a pink, reddish Mm. hue in the sky. Really? Um, And it's the longest day. So, it's a solstice day. So, it was something with that and then something else, and that made it red. I I looked it up last night as well Mm -hmm. to see what it was. And a little bit more. Um, (laughs) It is once every 70 years, but it's when there's a full moon on the same day as the vernal equinox, which is the longest day of the year. The way the planets and things are aligned, it makes it look strawberry. The way the light. I looked it up. I'm not that brilliant. I just. Because I thought it was so interesting. Deb decides to wear a dress in honor of the strawberry. Bright orange. <laughs> yes. It's summer in the city. I'm sure it's Facebook summer. will be lit up with pictures Meanwhile, of the Meanwhile, Rachel and I are sitting today. here in our basic New York blacks. Black. <laughs> New York blacks. Sexy, all of you. Anyway, so how is the market? Let's talk first about the market. I had a client that wanted to go out, and I had another client that wanted to list her apartment on July 4th weekend. Two clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had too. that yesterday. What is that about? I had that yesterday. So what are you advising them to do that or to I wait? am advising them to shut down that weekend. Shut down. But what about the summer? Well, let me me ask you that because I sort of agree with with that, and I think I know where you're going with that. But anyway, I wanted to do that Memorial Day weekend, and I did end up having three open houses, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they were stacked with people. Mm -hmm. Busy, busy, busy. And you know I've been complaining about this particular couple of listings for a long time. What price point? 
Um, nine ninety five up to one two yeah. five. Yeah. Were, were they were they any you know, one of those contracts signed? Were they? Did they come from that? Yep, one wow. did. One did. Wow. Yeah, and so and serious one, buyers then. Serious buyers. Yeah. So you know, I've I've always taken the 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 same position with you know it's holiday weekend. People are away, especially summer months. You know, the Hamptons, Jersey, wherever. But I don't know. Well, I'm taking the same position as Rachel, and I had the same thing happen, and. I remembered what happened to you Memorial Day weekend. I was thinking about that. And coincidentally, yesterday morning, only the well-seasoned brokers were in the office, in my office. So I said, I'm going to go ask everyone mm-hmm. what they think about July 4th. Mm-hmm. And it was a 50-50 thing. You know, some people said yes, some people said no. A lot of people said, especially the same price range as Vince had, that if people are spending that much and they're buying a co-op, which this was, they may not be going away that much because they're saving their money for the liquid mm-hmm. asset requirement. So give it a shot, which made me think. Interesting. They'd yeah, be staying why, around. Which yeah. is why I asked what, what price point because, mm-hmm. you know, I have something that's close to five. And that, I feel, mm-hmm. is just not, not the it. weekend mm-hmm. to do it. No. So, yeah. and I, yeah. I'm sorry. I say, yeah. Are we asking whether or not you should put a listing on that weekend for the first time? Or are we asking whether you should just hold an open house both. for one of well, your Well, Rachel was saying both. putting on, yeah. but I'm saying both yeah. because yeah. Yeah. current listings, well, what do you, you do Well, you know, you weekend? put it on on a holiday and then it's so quiet that Street Easy now says it's on for eight days. I by was just, oh my God, again. Rachel just took the words Why has it been on the market for so long? You have to be very careful about real-time info. Yeah, and that's just it. This days on market business is uh, is really sort of thank you street easy right but you know what it it really is messed up because especially because when the searches are given to you as you know do you want to run just the last seven days or 15 days of new stuff really a lot of listings get lost in that um especially if you came on just happened to be a slow weekend etc to the point where i've actually taken apartments off of the market in mid like for instance memorial weekend Mm -hmm. i have something listed at in the mid fours and I took that off the I had it launched the weekend before I took it off the Wednesday after that weekend like prior to Memorial Day weekend and then put it back on exactly a week later so it'd be ready for the open house the week after but I mean I'm playing I'm playing games to save days on market but wait if you take it off but I'm seeing a lot more of that parole I'm I'm sort of guys if you take it off and put it back on it doesn't save there's a market. Yeah, it does. No, no, no. It, take, it does. It's only it does. in the listing system that Corcoran and Douglas Elliman has. It keeps the days on market rolling. It's only sites like Trulia, Zillow, and Street Easy, which we have, that take it off and put it on. So which that's is what, what the you're used to. At. So, yeah, exactly. so the way it, exactly. so to, to elaborate on that, Phil, it's just, you know, if mm. it, it stops the clock, it doesn't reset it. So, in other words, you right. know, if I take it off the market and it was on the market for four days, it sh- still shows four days when I put it back on. Gotcha. A week it doesn't later. reset it, though. It right, does not right. reset it. Right. right, but it doesn't do that in tax year. Does anybody know right. how long that takes for it to reset? Yeah, six months. Six months? Mm-hmm. Six months. Mm-hmm. Six months. All right, the reason we're talking about this is why? Because the listening audience out there, audience out there who's not familiar with New York City real estate says, well, you know, who cares how many days on market? But in fact, in this city, it does mm-hmm. count. And buyers come in and the first question they ask as they're walking through the door, and it's always amazing to me as they're walking through the door, so how long is it on the market? I know. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that happens all over because just yesterday I was talking to a broker in New Jersey who's a top broker in her neighborhood, and she was saying that people come in who came from Zillow and from Trulio, which we also have people coming. I have people coming to me from those websites as well, but they also say, oh, I see it's been on the market 120 days. What's wrong with it? Yeah. So it's, I think, I think the it's national. The difference in the city and the suburbs is weeks and months. 
Yes. So my family, <laughs> my family has always told me that two weeks in the city equals two months in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So if some if someone sees it for two weeks here and it's a great apartment, why hasn't it sold? House, two months, why hasn't it sold? And what is the automatic assumption? Let, let's stick to the city for a minute. So what is the automatic assumption bargaining if they say power. it's on two months? Exactly. Bargaining power because the buyer coming in thinks that there's something wrong with the price, mm-hmm. it's overpriced, or it should have run off the market. Or there's something wrong with the apartment. Right. Or, or the there's something wrong with the building. apartment. Right. Yeah. Right. Can I make another point on that, too? What's interesting is that that's another reason why you don't want to have too many open houses. Because let's say it's on for four weeks. I agree. And a buyer can see you had four open houses. Then it's even more ammunition for that buyer to say, it's been on for four weeks and you had four open houses. However, if you only had one or two open houses... You know, as the seller's broker, you can make the case, well, access was difficult. I we totally were only able agree. to get one. You know, so that's why you really want to be really careful about the open houses that you choose. In fact, yesterday, <laughs> a seller of mine was, I was trying to get them to reduce the price. My my thoughts are this. I will do open houses all day long. I'll show on Christmas. I'll show on 4th of July. But you have to be quite motivated and priced correctly for me to give 150%. Mm-hmm. So if you're overpriced and I've shown it for two, three months and there is nothing going on, at that point, you have to reduce the price. So yesterday, I, I gave him the comps and I said, you know, you have to be here, price per square foot, under 1650 He said, well, did you do an open house last week? Yeah. It was like yeah. a punch in the face because it's like, what does that have to do with anything? And sellers think that you have to do these open houses to get buyers. And open houses are not the way. I want to expand 100%. on that in, in a little yeah. bit of time. Yeah. Let's go to break. We are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with my star panel, Parul, Rachel, Phil. Matt, Deborah, and Niall. So I wanted to just complete the thought before we went to break on what we were talking about with open houses, and then I want to add one more thing to it. Matt, you wanted to say something. So with regards to what Phil said, I think what's very interesting about the open houses with, you know, in conjunction with days on the market on Street Easy is that Street Easy is by far the biggest outlet for buyers in Absolutely. New York City, I feel. So what's interesting is that, I, that Street Easy hasn't 
found a way or hasn't implemented in this system how many open houses someone has. Because I think that it's, once you have, unless a buyer is checking it every single week mm-hmm. or every single day, mm-hmm. if you have it on the month for, sorry, on the market for a month and you have four open houses every single weekend, they wouldn't know because once it's done, it's off of Street Easy. I think it would be interesting if there was something on Street Easy that said, it's actually bad for us, but good for buyers that says, you know, they've had four, five, six open houses. Totally. I'm just surprised they haven't point. thought Absolutely. of that Absolutely. It's an you're interesting work- data point, yeah. It is, but if you're working with a broker from either Corcoran or Douglas Elliman, their two systems, I know everyone's systems, <laughs> but their two systems <laughs> do have the ability to track how many open houses a listing has had, mm-hmm. whereas the rest of us really don't have that access unless we call a friend, which mm-hmm. your broker will from any company. <laughs> everyone needs a friend at Elliman. Sounds <laughs> like a commercial. It's true. Well, let me ask. Let me ask this question because I'm noticing in some condo buildings that boards are becoming very concerned with price per square foot as yeah. it's coming on the market, and certainly as they're evaluating board packages, <clears throat> right. you know, for acceptance. Co-ops have always been more particular in accepting people into their buildings, but I'm seeing, and maybe it's because of the strange transitional market that we've been in, that two of my condo buildings are really kind of looking at price per square foot. As they're coming on the market and saying, is that all you can get for that? I ha- I have the greatest story ever. Uh, and so I, I, last- I, I'm like, Good. I don't even know how to go. No, it's crazy. I've never had this happen in 14 years. Uh, a seller. Okay, so we listed something. Someone on the board called us and we have a contract being signed the next day. And the, the person on the board said, just FYI. It's too low. Price is too low, and for a one bed, for a two bedroom, the price is too low for a renovated two bedroom. So we say to them, it's not a two bedroom. It's a legal one bedroom, and it's not renovated. So they had the completely like completely wrong information. Absolutely, and they would have turned it down based on not knowing the right information. Well, turned it down as a condo. The only it's thing a co-op. But you know what? This goes to show how you can't listen to gossip in your building. Right. You know, exactly. oh, did you hear my next door neighbor sold for such and such amount and it was fully renovated. But somebody no, on the wasn't. board not knowing it's a legal one bedroom and yes. that it's not renovated. Yes, because they, until they physically <laughs> surprise, look at oh, please. Surprise, yeah. surprise. And you're right. You they would have judged that package on their thought mm. or their interpretation and they could have been completely off base. Right. And in this case, they were. Right. I will say it's starting to happen more in condos. That's why I'm getting concerned. So with regards to the condo aspect of that, I actually find that these days in the market that we're in, in the condo buildings that I do a lot of business in, which are for some reason in Tribeca and Harlem, both buildings actually don't really go on price per square foot anymore. It's much more about the sale price. Mm -hmm. So I find that people are less about, oh, it's this amount price per square foot and more it's this price. But you know something, Matt? I'm in this business 15 years and sometimes I hate to say that and sometimes it's like whatever, but I have been trying for 15 years to get people off of that price per square foot train and I just can't figure out a way to do it. You walk in, you say, look at the space spatially, look at the view or look at how the, the floor plan is laid out, maximizing, you know, area space, whatever. And they still say, but how many square feet? Mm-hmm. I agree, but I think— And they'll it, argue with 650 versus 700 yeah. or 1,500 versus 1,600. I mean, but it's insane. Two, two things about that is I think the differential between 
the price square foot and the aspects of the apartment is the emotional side. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot more, if it's someone who's going to be living there, they will talk less about the price per square foot. Yes. But if it's more an investor, of course they're going to think about the analytical side. And the way to get around it, in all honesty, is if the building and the line can justify that price point. So mm-hmm. in other words, if you can show that something that's sold for the same price right. still is you know, renting at a decent cap rate, then you know, even if it's an investment, they'll see it. If they see resale values and how they've jumped in that building and how that building justifies the price again, it works as well. So I think it's about proving the numbers with numbers, mm-hmm. but a different set of numbers. But you think it is still one of the most important yeah. ways to just get like a kind of basic sense of what something's worth, you know? So I do think there's value in it. Well, um, but the, the, in the, price the, per square foot? In price, sorry, in price per square the, the, foot. The, the, the spreadsheet kind of people are always going to go to that they because yes. they need to understand in their own right. mind right. what is this really worth. Right. So I, I get that. Right. And don't forget, even appraisers, that's what they use. That's their, that's their main thing is price per square mm-hmm. foot. So mm-hmm. the, I mean, the banks are using that as well. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, to I echo my, yeah, it's a, it's a echo hazard meta. of our trade. It really is. The yeah. biggest problem though with price per square foot these days is that people are turning it over to the co-op side and you can't do that mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. because yes. you. the problem is, is that a lot of brokerage firms don't you know, get strict enough with their brokers <clears> and they don't you know, implement the fact that you really should not advertise the square footage of a co-op right. when it's on the market. You right. really should not. I understand what people try and do when they are you know, to make it seem bigger or something like that or smaller things like that but you really shouldn't based on even revenue rules. You're opening yourself up for yeah. a lot of and, and the problem is problems. because of people are breaking the rules yeah. you now have people on the sales side and the buy side of co-ops who are doing price square foot and that's not the I, way it should be. I, sorry, I'm go, sorry. Go, can go, I speak go. to that? So I do think square feet on a co-op is very important so what we do <laughs> is whenever, <laughs> I'm, whenever I'm pricing something out for a seller or when I'm working with a buyer, we have a very rigorous price per square foot analysis that we do for co-op. But what we do is we take the floor plan and we apply an apples to apples methodology that we use for every single floor plan mm-hmm. to get like a square feet that we say is here's a square f- foot that is you in know in co-ops. Kind of, in co- no, we don't we don't market it because you're not allowed to. But right. I'm saying like when we do mm-hmm. our internal An analysis, analysis. Yep. to understand what something is worth and what it's not worth, right. and you know it's worked so well for buyers in terms of what's Something's going to sell for. We say it's going to sell for this, or we say. But that doesn't take into account the view, the condition, the layout. We do, but we do take all that stuff. But we take that into account. I do that too. Actually, actually you know what? I'm with Phil on this one. one. Yeah. 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 I'm with you on this. Yeah. You add that on top of what his analysis. Oh, yes. okay. Exactly. But let yeah. me let me take it one step further because yeah, we're not technically allowed to advertise the the <clears> the square footage and then obviously the price of square footage in co-ops for a whole host of reasons, which we'll talk about another time. But. Does that make the buyer suspicious when they're coming into the the unit and they say, so what's the square feet or how large is the apartment? And you say, well, I'm sorry, but we didn't measure or I'm sorry, but we're not allowed to, to, you know, whatever. They sit back and think, hmm, really? So now I have to eyeball this. And we all know because we've talked about this so many times about our buyers and buyers in general out there. They don't have vision. So if somebody walks into the apartment and says, well, there's no stated square footage here. How big is this place? Because beats the hell out of me. I can't figure it out. I mean, I can. We all can because it's our business. But a buyer coming in can't. So how do they then place value on that purchase, as we talked about a minute ago, on condo when it's a Mm co-op and we can't tell them what the square footage is? How How do they figure out? That the value is there or the price is right or that they're making a good investment? Well, uh, over the years, and I mostly sell co-ops, what I have always done is when I have the floor plan measured by a professional, I say, so what's a square feet? And then I underestimate it. And I put a lower square footage down because it doesn't open up the conversation. I found this for years of, oh, it's too much. And I started doing that when I had an apartment. 
and one identical to it sold in that line four floors up right before. And I know they were 100 square feet lower than it really was. But I didn't want to open up the conversation after, well, it's the exact same one. It's the exact same. So I put the lower one down and I haven't had these arguments or discussions or fights. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I think too, to answer what you were asking, Vince, is that you know it, the way to figure it out is just by recent comps in the building correct. and in the area. You don't always Absolutely. have to look on a, on a on a price per square Absolutely. foot basis. <clears throat> and plus, uh, you know, when you're looking at square footage, it's it's kind of it's different every time. You know, are you are you measuring you know all the way through the wall? Are you measuring to the wall? How, how is that being laid out? What are you accounting for? And then you're talking about on top of that usable square footage. Um, you know, is it is there just a really long hallway that gets you to the apartment that's completely not usable? That's 300 square feet. You know, you have to look at like the floor plans. There's so many different factors that that you have to take into account beside just a price per square foot um, number. I think. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. All right, so let's move on. Whether to buy or rent a home is among the, the biggest financial decisions most of us have to make. It is basically a complex math problem in which the reward for getting it right can be tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars and the punishment for getting it wrong, obviously enormous. Fortunately, there are many tools to help you work through the math, including the New York Times' excellent calculator. So my question to all of us you know, this morning is, when we're, we're, we're counseling uh, buyers, and I think Matt addressed this a couple of weeks ago, when we're counseling potential buyers or renters and a new client, let's, let's start with that, and they're kind of on the fence with, I want to rent, I want to buy. There's all these tools out there that they can kind of punch in numbers, and all these websites have you know, mortgage calculations, and you can figure out what makes more sense for you. But how do we as, as agents, and this actually just happened to me, but how do we as agents get them over that threshold of really deciding to buy instead of rent? Because they could go either way, but they're kind of maybe afraid to buy. Have a five-minute conversation with a mortgage lender, especially since I actually find, I don't know how you guys feel, but I find that the mortgage calculators on TreatEasy and Truly and all those websites are inaccurate. And and you don't want to have an inaccurate interest Mm -hmm. rate or monthly figure when trying to decide such a big decision in your life. Um, and you also need to know if you're pre-qualified. Yeah, because I, those calculations are just going to give you a number, a monthly number. That's it. I also think it's a really interesting market right now. And it makes it exciting if you love this business, which like the, it makes me excited to be in this market right now. Because the fact that buyers are just taking so much extra time sure. to think about all this. Because you have the rental markets too hurting. Too much time. Right, too uh, much time. You have yes. the rental markets hurting. Um, a lot of my buyers are a little scared to pull the trigger because they feel that the market's high. Um, and they don't even want to make low offers. Um, but on top of that, the mortgage market is low. Mm-hmm. Like interest rates have bottomed mm-hmm. incredibly. And people keep telling me about that, yet they're not willing to make a move. So it's just a really interesting time, I feel. And I, yeah, and to, to echo that, I really just think that we're in a bargainer's market right now where it's a, it's a deal maker's market. So it's sellers who are willing to be reasonable and understand that they need to be flexible on the price that they're going to get the deal done if they're going to want to get it done. So it's about... The, it's about recognizing, are you a real seller? Are you a real buyer? As on the buy side, I think, you know, to quote Nikki Field, she, you know, she says, you know, anytime somebody asks me, 
um, when they should purchase an apartment, I say 10 years ago. And it's because apartment prices and condos almost double on average. Like I'm talking just a straight line average in Manhattan every 10 years. Um, and so go up to by 97% to be exact, co-ops by 93%. So if that's the average of how much your price you know, is going to increase in any apartment you're purchasing. And if you purchase intelligently in an apartment that has more appreciative value, then it really makes sense to go in that direction than rent, you know, and the numbers can work. But it's also about net worth and like total liquidity. So if somebody has a big income, but they don't have that 20, 25% down easily with that remaining liquidity, then they should rent. And they should save their money and wait. And that's why it's important to have that five-minute discussion about, you know, what's on what we call a Rebney financial statement where Mm -hmm. it goes over your debt-to-income, you know, ratio. And and a lot of times people think that they're qualified and they're not. And so, you know, I think a lot of – after we all do have been doing this for so long – I see brokers out there that don't have this conversation and they're wasting their time and they're wasting the buyer's time. And that goes back to what Matt said before. Have an intelligent conversation with a mortgage broker who will tell you if you are qualified. But before the mortgage broker, you have to have a conversation as the broker with the client. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's the question of whether you're qualified or not to buy versus rent or to buy over renting. But then there's, I think, what you initially talked about or your your initial question was, should you buy, should you rent? And there's a very simple way to look at it, which is I usually go over with buyers, which is, okay, if you were renting... equivalent property, what would you be paying per month for this? Mm -hmm. What are you now going to pay if you purchase it with your mortgage and your maintenance? And then, of course, the tax effects, because you get a lot of tax benefits. Absolutely. So then you look at those two prices. So then, you know, so a lot of those two monthly numbers, and a lot of times this convinces somebody that's on the fence, and they say, wow, so it's literally cheaper for me to buy. My monthly cost will be cheaper than it would be for me to rent. So that's kind of the simple way to do it. There's also a very more, a very complicated <laughs> process as well. Like I have a very detailed spreadsheet that really goes in, okay, well, if you're going to use your down payment, um, you know, toward purchase. Purchasing, what would that down payment have done in the stock market if mm-hmm. you didn't put it down? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the uh, equity uh, average appreciation of the apartment going to be? How's that going to affect things over time? So, I mean, this is a, a, a much more in-depth process. And when you do that process, it comes out <coughs> that it turns out that if you don't hold a place for usually at least five years, it's probably not worth it to purchase because if you're going to hold it for less than five years with the closing costs and everything, it tends not to be worth it. All right, we have to go to break. We are coming back in a few minutes. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening. 
listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back to segment three, and I'm here with the panel. So we talked about this topic, I think, briefly um, in a couple of weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again because it just happened to me. So a seller plans to sell their apartment in a condominium or even in a co-op, whatever, but their neighbor's teenage son smokes copious amounts of marijuana with his friends, presumably with his parents. When his parents aren't home, the scent is overwhelming and likely a big turnoff to prospective buyers. The fear of risking this happening when showing the apartment to a prospective buyer or holding an open house a series, no one wants to rat the boy out. And the building is not a smoke, is not smoke-free, but a major financial deal is at stake. What do you suggest or how do you suggest a broker handles them? Before I ask the question of all of you, I'm going to tell you the situation I just had in my condo building where I'm building specialist. There's a lot of this kind of uh, aroma that goes around. Aroma. <laughs> and so, 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 <laughs> so somebody called me and said, hey, I'm, you know, come, come and talk to me. You know, I'm thinking about you know, putting my apartment on the market. So he's one of the worst offenders. And, and he and I battled this through the years when I was selling the building on site, you know, with, with new people coming in, whatever. So I said, okay, so I walk in and it stunk or reeked, whatever. And I said, okay, first thing that has to go is all that stuff. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean I have to show this? It can't smell. I have to have open house. It can't smell. And certainly when people get off the elevator, you know, it, it trails under your doorway and the, and the entire hallway stinks. Yeah. Well, he was just oblivious to the whole conversation. And I said, don't you remember, <laughs> don't you remember how many years ago I used to yell and scream at you because I was having open house in the building? And the smoke coming out of your door was crazy? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't really remember that. What? I don't don't get it. Because he's baked. So now I... uh, Well, beyond... Cookies? Baked cookies? So 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 I ask because I'm actually seeking advice because I probably will be putting this apartment on the market sometime this summer. What do you do? Because I know I'm going to run up against all all kinds of things. When this happens. I actually had something similar yeah. happen um, many years ago when I was with um, with Corcoran. And I had a seller who also was a big marijuana smoker, but always complained about how they hated cigarette smoke. So mm-hmm. I sent an email around to the company and said, does anyone have an apartment on the market or coming on the market that so reeks of cigarette smoke awful. you don't know what to do? And two people um, – uh, responded to me. So I said to this person, I took them with me. I said, I just want to show you an apartment that might compare to yours so we could talk about pricing and things. So we didn't have the smell conversation. We walked in. Oh, oh, I can't. How, how can anybody go in here? It reeks so badly. of And I said, sweetheart, unfortunately to other people, this is what your apartment smells like now. And the way you wouldn't even consider walking into this one, no one's going to walk into yours. And it's like a light bulb went off. Even mm-hmm. though I thought he was a little half baked, the also. voice of reason, Deborah. It so really, so, it worked. So from from the voice of reason to put, to get, I'll give a. Little, <laughs> and he stopped. I think not going to be on the roof. I said, "Go up to the roof." I'm going to give a more modern opinion about this. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so I'm I with actually you. feel. So I actually feel that a lot of people <laughs> these so days. <laughs> I was going to say. I would like to modern equals younger. Okay, I would say that Deb is extremely young. I, I, it's I'm just, old enough to be a, your mother, darling. Oh. 
So, um, <laughs> so, so I think actually, I feel that a lot of people are more liberal these days. And um, I've had two really conservative buyers of mine that I recently took out to see apartments. And both of them made comments when they were seeing apartments. One of them saw a huge liquor cabinet in one of these apartments and, and she's, you know, she's super conservative. I've never known her to say anything strange. And all of a sudden she goes, I really like this unit. I could tell that the sellers are cool, fun people because of all the vodka. And so I think, I do think that actually you might, you might have an interesting take on things. If a buyer comes in, they're like, I feel good energy from this seller because he likes to do this or that or smoke weed or drink a a lot. But it's it's definitely a millennial way of thinking. But it's still illegal in New York State. That's the problem. Problem. Agreed. I, I agree with illegal. that part. I just staged yeah. an apartment over the past couple of days, and I, I bought in Home Goods these clear, beautiful bottles mm. for like two ninety nine a piece, Ooh. and I filled them with water. So of course, somebody walks in yesterday and said, "Is that vodka?" I said, "Absolutely." Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a glass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a coloring in there. I'm going to make one look like rosé. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got to buy the red color today. Vince, I, one I, thing. I one thing that. though, I would say is that so there's there's two different to me. There's two different things. One is if the apartment itself that you're selling has some issues, that's different than if if the neighboring apartment has some issues, I think. Uh, Because uh, if the neighboring apartment has some issues, mm -hmm. now you're living somewhere Mm -hmm. where you're potentially going to buy in a place where you may not have control of your neighbors. And and they may there may be smells coming out, right? Mm -hmm. That to me is very, very Very different. different. And that's a that's a real issue. I think that's a and and so that's something that I've had to deal with in the past. And you basically you go talk to the seller and you hope the seller can talk to the neighbor and say, hey, during the open house times, let's, you know, and usually they work something out. Mm -hmm. I've had stuff where people above, kids running around like crazy during open house times. I've had that a lot. And you know, the, the sellers talk and the sellers usually work it out. And it's usually very quiet during the open house. For for the record. I 100% agree with Phil. <laughs> but I, I will say, though, it's crazy. I was showing an apartment that I'm selling yesterday, and it was a private showing, and the neighbor got a huge package from Amazon and put the box in the hallway. Like, huge box. Like, it looked like a couch. And um, <laughs> the buyer who you know came to see the apartment I'm selling was like, do these people always do that? Because it's very... It's it's not very nice to their neighbors, and I swear that's how the showing started out. Well, like that, it's a box. That's yeah, that's a freaking box. The tone is yeah. set. I got to deal with these neighbors every time they mm-hmm. get something from wherever, and mm-hmm. the box is going to be mm-hmm. in the hallway. Yeah, but, I had a stroller in front of the <sighs> door that I was showing, and it was a corner apartment, so you literally couldn't get into my <sighs> listing because of the stroller. And I talked to the neighbors. The seller talked to the neighbors. Management talked to the neighbors. Doormen talked to the neighbors, and they still kept the stroller in front of our door. Yes. I, when I lived Which at this, when I lived at the yeah. Century, the neighbors next door to me it was a larger apartment. I was in the one bedroom, and it was like. Yeah, and the stroller was always in the middle of our two doors, and I used to come home at night and kind of had to squeeze around the freaking stroller every day. Ugh. And I'd be like, okie dokie. Why would you do that? You know, every so day, rude. Every day. Remember, what Phil just said, this just rem- reminded me, I have a listing right now where <clears throat> the neighbor is a heavy smoker, <clears throat> but she's only home twice a day where the smoke really goes into the hallway. And I have had people get off the elevator and say, oh my God, who's the smoker here? Is it this apartment? Mm-hmm. I can't believe but you've been thinking about it. I have to tell you, sometimes if... Your seller is well loved in the building and they have a relationship with the doorman or something. We had, we finally, thank God, have a signed contract. But when she was coming <coughs> back for a second show to show her parents, and we mm-hmm. always worry about that, mm-hmm. the owner called the doorman. They have some kind of a spray that gets rid of the smell in the hallways. Mm-hmm. And he sprayed it, and I went up to turn on the lights and all that. 
and nothing smelled. Wow. And I went down and mentioned, I said, hey, is, is what's her name home? Because nothing smells. He said, oh, no, I sprayed it. Yeah. So that's interesting. I've, bake, like, I've baked things also. So like I've done lavender spray in the hallway, like, and then I run in the door and then I put some like baked goods out that are freshly baked and people smell Rachel it immediately. Rachel makes the best cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the shout out. Like you <laughs> and, and that seems to help because like there's not much control a broker has over these kinds of things. No. And a seller most likely isn't going to talk to a neighbor and say, you know, it's most of the time they're not going to unless and it's that a really not bad stop smoking. Yeah. So. Either that or they, they've talked to them in the past because they've lived there next door to them and it didn't work. So Mm -hmm. when it's time to sell, they're just going to say, you know, whatever happens, happens. Anyway, moving on. You could be described as bridge and tunnel either way, but it is, a, is it better to get that label from living in Long Island City or Jersey City? Oh, Brick Underground just did a survey of New Yorkers to pick a side, Long Island City or Jersey City. So what do you think won out? To be labeled... As bridge and tunnel? No, no, no. It's just saying you could be, you'll be bridge and tunnel either way, okay. whether you live in Jersey or whether you live in um, Long Island City. But sure. Which, which, which city did buyers choose over the other? Which city? Yeah. Jersey City. They chose. Uh, I would Long say Island, Long Island, Island City. City. Long Island City. Long Island City. Jersey City. I'd say Long Island. Long City. Jersey City. Okay, the subway gives Long Island City the edge. Really? Wow. Okay. Isn't that you know? Shocking. Lic is really, really. Turning around, not turning around, but I mean, really getting so much yeah. more popular. It's yeah, ama- yeah, amazing. Because you're still technically New York. I think that does play a part in it. Yeah, I think it plays a big yeah. part. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. The, the, the tax part too is also something to consider with Jersey. You know, if you live there as your primary residence, you're not getting you know hit with the New York City tax. No, you get a commuter well, tax actually. Oh, you do? Oh, is there? Yeah, but it's not as big as the city tax, is it? But you have to pay Jersey and New York tax. Yes. Oh. So then it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty bad actually. Yeah, it's really okay. okay so Long Island City, it is. <laughs> I'm changing my mind. I see. I didn't think that through. That settles it. Yeah. There's the answer. All right. So when you're living in a rental, there's often a world of difference between what your landlord should be doing to maintain your apartment and what they're actually doing and getting repairs taken care of a stuck window for example a collapsed ceiling or a plumbing problem in a timely manner is often more difficult than it would seem responsive responsiveness demands uh, depends rather on so many variables what are these variables now we talk a lot about you know living in condos or living in co-ops as owners but when you live in rental buildings a landlord has a certain set of um responsibilities that they have to maintain your apartment and they have to maintain the building as a whole. So what does this really come down to when you have an issue in your unit and it is the building's responsibility and for whatever reason, you know, it's not being handled timely? What are, what are, what's the recourse? Well, I think uh, for one, squeaky wheels get the grease, right? So, you know, the more alarms that you so- you sound, you know, the better, you know. So it really depends on, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things when you ask what are the variables. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, is it just a just one owner that you deal with? Or is there a management company? Is there a super who does that? Do you have all of their phone numbers? Um, you know, it, it, there's just so many different factors that can really play into it. Um, are you paying somebody off? Are you tipping people? Um, is, are the doorman the point person for that? It really comes down to the specifics of your particular building. Um, if it's like a walk-up, you're likely going to deal with a super or a one-off manager. Um, the bigger buildings, you could just talk to the the doorman or they have, you know, building link or different types of, you know, uh, building systems where you can put in requests for maintenance. So it really depends um, on the on the building and in the management company. It does, and I'll add one more thing to that, and it goes back to what Deb said a little while ago. If you're loved in the building or liked in the building and you have a good reputation in the building, <clears throat> I think when you ask 
to have something done in your apartment, you probably will go higher on the priority list than mm-hmm. the other people. And you know, we also talk about this talk about this at the end of each year when it comes to holiday tipping. You know, again, if you're liked in the building and you tip well, and people know, you know, that they can count on you to to get something from you mm-hmm. when you need something. And I have proved this in my building, and I'm not tapping myself on the shoulder, but I proved this in my building for 12 years now. Anytime I want or need anything in my apartment. Mm-hmm. They're there in a flash because Mm -hmm. it comes down to that. Plus all the things that Niall said about, you know, every building has different structures. Is it the super? In my building, you start with the super and Mm -hmm. then you go to the managing agent if it doesn't, you know, happen or resolve quickly. But I never really have to go past the super. And also not taking advantage of every little thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those tenants that that call about, you know, freaking out, changing a light bulb at at 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, be wise about your requests. That's a really good point. And if it's an emergency, Mm -hmm. then of course. But if it can wait, hold out, maybe say to your super, how busy are you right now? You know, give them a little bit of... I I actually gave my super's wife some business. Uh, She was a cleaning lady and I threw her some business. And I knew that when I needed something, it was going to happen very quickly. But I didn't take advantage of that. All right, we have to take a break. We will be right back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment. I'm talking to Peru. Brian Bat from Compass. I'm talking to Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman. Uh, Phil Horgan, leasebreak.com, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Matt Cohen had to leave for a company meeting, so we'll chat with him next week. So question, uh, I'm moving to the city for six months for work. I've heard how hard it is to qualify for a standard rental in New York City. Is it, uh, is it the same for short-term leases, or is the process different? How should I prepare? I'm coming to the city to live for six months. You know, it may turn out to be a year. It may turn out to be longer. But right now, my company is moving me here because I'm only going to be here for six months. I've got to do a special project. I don't want to stay in a hotel. The company doesn't want me to stay in a hotel. I need to lease short term. Is that easier than the very strict uh, full-time <laughs> leases so in the city? Phil's the rental guru, but I have so much to say, so I'm going to let you start. Is the 
I assume you're saying in this case, the six months is considered a short-term rental? Correct. Okay. Uh, six months is kind of on the cusp, a six mm-hmm. months, because some landlords don't necessarily consider that six months. Some broker uh, brokers actually charge a full year's rent or full broker fee for a six-month rental. So I would say for six-month rental, it depends on the landlord, meaning they may just ask for the same requirements, which would be tax returns, letter of employment, previous landlord reference letter, bank statement, credit check, photo, copy of your photo ID. Sometimes, though, with the short-term rental, landlords are less strict in the sense that they just want to get their money. So they may ask for more money up front, up front right. but they may not take as much paperwork. And just to exaggerate the point, let's say it's a one-month rental or a two-month rental instead of a six-month rental. In most of those cases, instead of asking for all this paperwork, the landlord may just say, just pay me the entire lease term up front. Which we've all seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So um And even some yeah. less qualified people on longer leases, one or two year leases, have to pay all up front. And I often warned her about that because if they're a risk because they don't have the income of forty five times multiply or whatever mm-hmm. Or they don't have enough credit, but yet the landlord will accept, you know, a whole year or longer up front. But what is the risk the, to the landlord at the end of the year when the tenant may not want to move out? I love to speak to this. So, okay. <laughs> people that are, I would say, newer landlords or newer brokers even don't understand this. And what it happens is they 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 hear a tenant who's not qualified say they'll pay a year up front. Mm-hmm. And a newer landlord or newer broker may say, great, let's take this person. They're paying the entire year up front. It's a huge risk. Any of the landlords that I'm using, that I work with, I mean, that are very, uh, that have been doing this for a long time, that are very experienced, they say, no way. I want a month-to-month relationship with this person. I don't want the year, I don't want the money up front. And as Vince just pointed out, the biggest risk is what happens in that 11 or 12th month. So what happens when the lease ends? The person still has no income. And we all know that the rights are more in their favor than in the landlord's favor. So if that person just decided to squat and stay in the apartment, it's going to be a nightmare getting mm-hmm. them out. So when you hear someone say a year up front, you, sh- you should not be excited about that. You should first qualify them the same way anyone else would be qualified and really understand what is their candidacy going to look like 12 months in, you know, when the lease is up. I absolutely try to do that. But part of the problem is when you get the these um, foreign uh, students who come into the city who want to live, you know, because they're in school for a year mm-hmm. or six months and they really have no credit in, this, in the U.S., they have no money in the U.S., most of the time, their parents are helping them. So that's where we I see in condos anyway a lot of um, one-year renters and payment up front. Right, and I'm the, also very you know, uh, concerned, and I worry about where they're going to be you know, a year from now because in a year from now, they want to renew again. Now right. what? So what you do in that case is you say you'll only take them and you'll take the year up front, but they also have to leave three or four months security, if not six months Correct. security, because mm. it takes that long to get someone out of an yeah. apartment in New York City mm-hmm. if they're not paying their rent. Mm-hmm. So you have to assume it might take six months to evict them. Mm. So you could, I mean, it, it, it's harsh, but you. this is why landlords sometimes ask for six months security, which it. people think is crazy, but the reason is because it could take that long to get someone out of an apartment. And also rent-stabilized buildings, your uh, owners are not allowed to take money up front. Correct. That's correct. That's so, correct. you know, uh, it's funny. I would say uh, I love how, what you just said, and I agree with everything. I think a big thing when I'm working with a renter is for the renter not to offer the money up front. It's very different when a landlord 
says, we can get this done, but you're going to have to pay money up front. Because what happens is if the renter offers it, it raises huge flags and it doesn't sit well with the landlord. So it's really, you know, it's case by case for sure. And then you have short term that are in condos Mm -hmm. that do require the board process. And there's all those extra fees that aren't really worth it if you're paying for a short term rental on top of the broker fee. Right. And most condos and co, I agree with you, Rachel, most condos and co-ops don't allow short term rentals, but some do. But most of them, the minimum lease term is six months, if not a year. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Brownstones had their heyday in the mid-19th century and are once again experiencing a revival now. Highly desirable. They are an iconic part of New York City, especially in Brownstone, Brooklyn. What has created this new love for Brownstones, not only in Manhattan, but in Brooklyn uh, and in Harlem? They are so popular, so damn expensive, but highly Desirable backlash from co-ops and condos. <laughs> That's what it's about for me, anyway. I, and the neighbor who smokes <clears throat> pot down the hall. Yeah. Well, well, listen at your own house. Community you can do living. Anything yeah. you want. I mean, yeah. you either love community living or you just love the idea of having your home, own home in New York and, City. And privacy. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to privacy yeah. as well because it's your own house and it's yeah. all the floors are yours and you can do what you want. Some things feel cyclical too. I feel like a lot of the younger people seem to have like this fantasy and fascination with houses. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, really without, like a, without realizing the responsibility. Of yeah, them. absolutely. Yes. But yeah. like they, yes. for whatever reason, seem to be gravitating in that direction, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, but people also don't realize that when you have a house, the sound from a house down the street, things vibrate differently. The sound waves are different. My next door neighbor blasts his music, which is quite nice, but. Really, all the neighbors started talking to him about it because you could hear it through your walls, through your closed windows, through Jeez. everything mm-hmm. at 1130 at night. Mm-hmm. And also, you also have, if you're on a street with all brownstones and it's a snow day, everyone has hired a snowblower person to come out. <laughs> and you hear that? for so M- Maybe. It's not, not everyone quiet. hires a snowblower, by If you the own way. a brownstone, maybe you <laughs> do. But, you know, if you yeah. realistically well, walk around that I'm okay Brooklyn, with. Yeah. 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 sometimes it gets it a little there. dicey. Yeah. Some people who own brownstones yeah. don't remove the snow in front of their buildings. Yeah. That too. And, yeah. you know, you're and there's a lawsuit waiting to happen also. There's a lawsuit that you want it's to happen. It's called an attractive nuisance, actually. Like, yes. mm-hmm. Look at me. I'm falling right now in front of your home. And I'm eight months pregnant, and here I go. There you go. All right. According to a recent report in the Wall Street Journal, homeowners tend to always expect that their homes will increase in value. So when they need to sell, they stubbornly refuse to lower their asking price and subsequently risk the possibility of not selling at all. As experienced professional agents that we are here in New York City, how do we price apartments to sell regardless of what the seller wants? We've mm-hmm. always talked about this, but I keep bringing it up because, you know, it's it's important to understand, as we always say, that apartments will sell when they are priced correctly. Phil reminds me of this every time it comes up. <laughs> right? Right, I do. I do. But when the seller says, no, I don't agree with you, I want to ask this, what do you say? Oh, so many things. And it's um, always- <laughs> I've, I always, uh, I, I think I come to, uh, I come to real estate with a heavy data background. So mm-hmm. I tend to approach everything with data. And I mean, ultimately, I think if things are communicated effectively, you, presu- you present data, you show them what the comps are doing, you show them what the, you know, other apartments are doing uh, in the neighborhood, in the building. From my experience, they tend to listen. I'm not saying they always do, but it, it just, and it, it sometimes, sometimes you know the first conversation is not going to work. Maybe the second, maybe the third. But if you continually in a patient way, have this conversation with them, it tends to work. Look, they want their apartment to be sold, right? I mean, not they want to no, sell their apartment. Not a lot. Now we're talking about a real seller 
versus a non-real seller. And that's Uh very important. That's very important. So, you know, we've all wasted our time a year, maybe more than a year with these sellers that aren't real. And they just want to test the market for the right number. Maybe I'll sell, but they won't tell you that. And they'll have you working really hard for it. And I have, so I do, uh, and I'm sure we all do, a tremendous amount of work on the pricing. Because I think pricing is so important that I will spend literally three hours on it. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredibly detailed analysis. And so I will say to some sellers up front, Look, the, the price you want, it's just, it's just probably not going to happen. There's a 10% chance we're going to get this. And I really get them on record in the beginning. We have a full-on discussion in the beginning of how everything's going to go. And we just had something recently where the agreement was, he finally said, yeah, Phil, you're right. I, I, it, is, it is probably unrealistic, this price. And if we don't sell it in two months, I'm just going to rent it. And I said, great, no problem. Let's, let's go for it. We, full disclosure. we had a full disclosure understanding. Yep. In two months, it didn't sell. And we rent, and now we're looking to rent it. Right. So, you know, um, it just that's how it works. We, <laughs> unfortunately, we are out of time. We've got to go. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.